Welcome team, and you know when I say team, that's because I want to treat you, the listener, the same way I would treat any athlete, any team member, any staff member, or anyone I ever work with. And that is, try to expose you to anyone that may help you, help you by sharing wisdom with you, sharing lessons learned, teaching you, educating you, or inspiring you in in some way that will be unique to you just by being exposed to this person. And the person I bring today is Nathan Kalis. Now, Nathan Kalis to me is someone who I cannot speak highly enough, and if I could ever introduce you to him personally, I would. But thankfully to the podcast, you don't need to meet him personally. You can learn from just listening. Now, the reason I love this guy, Nathan and I worked together nearly every day for 10 years. Nathan played 259 first grade games. He captained 217. So when you talk leadership, he captained a team at the age of 21. He's the most capped captain in NRL history. He captained his country at the age of 22. He captained his country to a historic World Cup victory in 2008. The New Zealand Kiwis beating an unbeatable Australian team. Another team and another experience that I was privileged to share with him. So, without telling too many stories straight off the bat, let's go straight to Nathan. Thank you so much, Nathan, for coming on the show. This episode of GTE is brought to you by Pain Away, Australia's number one joint and muscle relief since 1999. Find out more at painaway.com. First of all, Nathan, thank you for coming on the show, but also thank you for being a listener to the show. I love your feedback on the text messages. Yeah, that's right, H. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, mate. I've listened to the one you did with uh, with Wayne, uh, the great coat hanger himself. Um, that was that was awesome. He's you know, he's obviously very knowledgeable, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, mate. You've you've worked really hard. Yeah, you're doing well, mate. Well, Nathan, the beauty is with you and I, there's nothing scripted here, but you've already gone straight to the topic of Wayne Bennett because you listened to the the podcast episode with Wayne. So why don't we go straight there? I mean, we could, we're definitely going to go back very early in your career, but let's go straight there to the 2008 World Cup where you captained that team to a historic uh, the unbeatable Australian team, you captain New Zealand to beat them in the final. Now, uh, for the listeners, Wayne was a part of that team. Wayne was, he was brought on as a, uh, what would you call, I think he ran with the title of assistant coach, but he was he was like a, a mentor that, that guided and helped and inspire the coaching staff. Steve Kearney was the head coach. He was brought on to, to help Steve and also obviously the rest of us staff and, and yourself, Nathan, as a leader. Now, you may not remember, but this is also one of my favourite moments in my working career. So for the listeners, if I could I could just share with you, first of all, the best seat in the house was my job. So I was running out onto the field delivering coaches' messages. I would listen to Steve over the radio or Wayne over the radio and I would run out and a lot of the times I'd be running to Nathan as the captain and giving him messages, giving usually the half half back the message. The guys are running the team. 
Anyway, it's 20 seconds to go, and your job is to run out, give your message, and run back. You're not allowed to loiter on the field as much as some listeners will be laughing, seeing trainers loiter on the field, but you're not allowed to. But I saw the clock, and I ran. I waited. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I sprinted to Nathan Kalis. I basically sprint raced Ruben Wiki to go and give this man the biggest man hug you've ever given anybody. It was, it's hard to explain. It was possibly eight years in the making, that man hug, of sharing so many ups and downs with you, Nathan, and which included some highs and lows. But this moment, winning the World Cup final is... I can't imagine what it felt like for you because I know what even it felt like for me. And Ruben and I raced and gave you the biggest man hug. I don't know if you remember, mate, because it was a euphoric moment for you, no doubt. So I'm not sure if I'm in your memory bank. Take us through the memories of your World Cup. Once I had the hug with you and Rubes, I remember that because there was a scrum. We packed the scrum and I looked up to the scoreboard and uh, there was 25 seconds to go or something. I went... This is all over. I just turned around and uh, there was you and Rubes both standing there and, you know, we all uh, gave each other a massive hug. But um, once that sort of settled down a bit, uh, Mooks and well, Steve Kearney and Wayne come out and we were walking around the field with the trophy and, you know, we were, we were all talking about what it felt like and, um, you know, we'd had a few disappointments throughout my career. I mean... The career was great. I've got no regrets at all, but um, you know, a couple of disappointments in terms of premiership opportunities not taken. And, um, yeah, I spoke to Wayne and Steve both about that on the field, just saying I, I felt satisfied uh, that I, I was able to achieve or was able to win uh, something really big as a captain, uh, let alone as a player, but um, to, really, to really be able to lead a team to victory and, and get a team over the line, mate, it was a, it was a huge relief and, and just a big satisfaction, yeah, big, big sense of satisfaction for myself. But yeah, I was, geez, I was pretty relieved, mate, to hold something up, you know. So, um, well, yes, holding that trophy up, Nathan, I, I still have a picture of you and I on my wall in the back room. So, if, if you've stopped visiting now, if you remember me, if you ever want to visit, you still exist on my back wall, photo of you and I with the trophy. and it's a memory forever, but uh, this podcast is about helping other people, mate, so I don't want to make it all about my stories or, or storytelling of those great moments. I do want to go to parts where we will help someone. We, we need to help people in their leadership uh, career or their leadership vision, wherever they are, whatever team, whatever athlete, whatever students, whatever it is they're doing or helping or guiding this needs to make a difference. So we do need to go down this leadership topic, mate. You, uh, I remember you built that whole campaign. You kept referring to sacrifices. Now, I also remember behind the scenes, the coaching staff, our, our vision there was to, or our mission every day was to challenge guys to, we wanted to see evidence of these sacrifices. We wanted to see evidence of how bad you really wanted to do it. And we did that from way back before the World Cup campaign, even with the train-on camp, where it was it was pretty brutal and you were a part of that because unfortunately the Eels didn't make the final series that year. So, But I always remember you 
you were leading that team and constantly referred to sacrifices. Can we go down this topic, Nathan, what what your memories of that were? Deb said it was like doing another pre-season. It's the hardest six-week period I've ever done in terms of just sheer um, brutality in the way we wrestled uh, in the wrestle room with uh, Larry in the city there at Surrey Hills. Uh, I remember we would wrestle for two hours, and that was when um, Steve was, I think, in the throes of being at the Melbourne Storm, and that was obviously really big there with their defence. So I, I remember that. It was, it was bloody tough, mate. We were wrestling. You know, we were doing 1v1 wrestles for five minutes straight, just wrestling each other on the ground. Uh, yes, I remember that, Nathan. Don't worry about that. I mean, Stephen was uh, – the head coach was still working with Melbourne Storm at the time, so – you know, we would talk every night on the phone, and basically the plan was to to work hard, to know that there'll be a a moment in that World Cup campaign a couple of months later that we'll draw on. And there's a day that I clearly remember, Nathan, and you contributed to it a lot. And it's it's actually quite cool because Benji Marshall still writes about it in his book many years later. And I, I was chuffed to actually read it, believe it or not, but just because the fact that he must have remembered it. Because what happened was there was a public holiday. So the NRL grand final on the Sunday, the public holiday on the Monday, and a couple of the team in the train-on squad had asked me for the day off. And I, I told them no. We were, work, we were working, and I don't think it went down that well, uh, but it did go down well with, with, with the head coach when I phoned him and instructed him, I mean, and informed him that I had to come up with a decision on the spot. These guys put me on the spot, and I said, no, no, we're working. And uh, anyway, he said, well, now you've told them to work. You need it to be a day they remember. You, you can't just put on any day. They have to remember this day. So... And you encouraged me too. You, I remember you telling me, make it hard. And, and so what we did, Benji Marshall was, was basically made to make about 100 tackles that day. You guys were all working on different pieces of equipment where Benji stayed on the wrestling mat and we made you run at him. Then, then someone else lined up and ran at him and then someone else lined up and ran at him. So he had to just continually tackle 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 maybe jump on the treadmill get back off tackle it was all about benji to be honest and everyone else had a really good solid workout now we walked out to the car we're walking together and i put my arm around him and i told him mate this was for you today will this will pay us back and what happened was as the camp went on, Ruben then took over that for me during the camp, the World Cup camp and Ruben would run at Benji every day. At the end of training, he would do extra work and basically bash Benji. And and I don't know if you... I mean, you had your own focus that World Cup week, Nathan. Everyone has their own individual focuses on that final week, but I'll never forget it. There was a headline in the newspaper and it said, The Bash Benji Campaign. Now... We we shared another moment, Benji and I. We put my arm around him again in the foyer of a hotel and said, well, we'd prepared for this, haven't we? So Benji said, I'll be right. Don't you worry. I'll be right, brother. And I'll never forget that because the belief was so powerful. But the message I'm trying to deliver in this little story is for belief to be powerful, it has to have some sort of 
backbone to it. It has to have a foundation of work behind it. And when that belief is really powerful and it's from within the person, it, it it's real. And what we had that week, Nathan, was real. And I just know you you kept talking about sacrifices the whole campaign. Your leadership was so impressive, it's hard for me to explain on this podcast, but I guess I could I could get something out of asking you the question, what influences did you have in your life that got you to the, to this point? Was there was there coaches, was there teachers, was was it your parents? Like was it how you were brought up? What what got you to this point? Because experiencing experiencing it firsthand is something i'll always remember but how do we share that with the podcast listeners nathan what were your influences uh yeah look the biggest thing with myself uh i talk about it a lot um you know as a kid growing up my parents were really good they were really they were really influential on myself and my brother uh, mum and dad moved over from new zealand the year before i was born uh, they moved over because they knew they wanted to start a family and they they sacrificed uh, their time with their own families. My mum was from a family of ten brothers and sisters, and my dad had a, you know, a tight little family down there, down there in Wellington. So they both decided to leave their families behind, uh, go to the unknown, being Australia, and really set themselves up and, and really to to give their two boys or to give their family uh, the best opportunity. So uh, that was a really big one. And my dad, for the, as long as I can remember, being a young kid. A young boy growing up, he would either be working two, three jobs at a time, uh, given that mum and dad both moved over from New Zealand with not much at all. And we grew up in Granville, uh, Duck Creek there. Um, and I just remember that. I remember dad working that many jobs, but he always had the time to take us to training. He always had the time. He, he was actually the guy that used to set up and pack away the athletics track because he was the only one with a van. So he would work from three o'clock in the morning, work all day, and then come to athletics training or athletics, little athletics on Friday nights. He'd be there till 10.30 at night, setting it all up and then packing it all away. He just, uh, yeah, he was just very selfless, my dad. So he taught, he taught us a lot about sacrifice, sacrifice and hard work. And that's all I've ever done, mate. I, I realized uh, when I was starting to play league, uh, I realized I wasn't the biggest, fastest, uh, best player but uh, I realised pretty early that I had to work hard and um, yeah that's sort of sort of been with me ever since and something that you try to pass on to your own kids now and um, and from that I suppose I've just sort of tried to develop this uh, mentality of just continually getting better um, you know you and I, I've taken a little while to sort of get find a bit of a groove post football but being a professional for so long you're trying to go to training every day and get better and then you finish, then to say, oh, you're going to go work the same job and do the same thing every day, uh, that was a challenge. So, um, yeah, that, that sort of held with me for a long time or for all my life and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. So, um, But you know, I had a, good, a lot of good mentors and a lot of good people helped me along the way. You know, there's yourself. Uh, obviously, I owe a lot to Brian Smith, uh, Craig Catterick and Alan Wilson. Uh, Alan Wilson, Peter Sharp. Um, my, my school coach, Dave Dwyer, uh, he was a big influence. Mate, we used to train uh, three days a week. We had to be there at six in the morning. Um, and then we'd train in the afternoons as well. So we had to be awake in the morning. And then every Sunday, 
every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. We had us on the field. We used to do this drill every 10 metres. So it was a five-minute drill, and you had to start at the 100 metres or start the try line every 10 metres down on the ground, up, down on the ground, up. And it was like our fitness test, how many laps you could do in five minutes. And I just remember that. And it was so hard, but uh, we had a bit of success at school as well. And, yeah, so I had some good influence, mate, around around hard work and the importance of it. And, you know, you don't get anything worthwhile without it. Nathan, you touched on a lot of things there. So, I mean, your parents, massive influence and, and how they grew up and what they sacrificed. You, I used to love catching up with your parents, by the way, after a game. That's another story. Uh, I used to love seeing them at the games. But uh, you also touched on... Uh, many things in that one little topic there. I mean, you even you even talked about some struggles there post career. We we may go there, um, but I'm so happy for you now. You've found your little niche and your pathway now in coaching. And I know, I I know, anyone who ever employs you to be on their coaching staff, I know the commitment they will get. So I love the fact you're now surrounding yourself with people and you're on a journey and you're constantly learning. That's awesome, mate. Um, you touched on some people that influence you and and mate it's an honor to hear i was one of those i don't know if you're just saying that because it's my podcast so you had to say it but um that's really cool you mentioned your school your school teachers some coaches some some people along the way but one one thing you did mention in all of that was that little bit about your dad packing up the athletic center so i actually want to go back to like what other sports did you play because I am a massive believer in kids should play multiple sports. And I don't know if you believe the same, Nath, but we, I'm hoping we go there. But um, I'm a massive believer in it. To anyone that's listening, um, the, the most talented players I've ever worked with usually have a great foundation of a background of different sports. Now, track and field is without doubt one of the best foundations, Nathan, and you mentioned it there by talking about your dad packing up the the athletic centre and being a uh, working hard for all those kids. So, um, mate, talk to me about multiple sports. Did did you play other sports? When What age did you start rugby league? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I played a lot of soccer as a kid, soccer, cricket. I uh, did a lot of little athletics. Um, really enjoyed that. My dad played soccer back in New Zealand. Uh, Mum played netball. Uh, obviously, you know, she wasn't going to make us play netball, but... Yeah, so it was from about the age of 10, I remember I just started asking my mum about the opportunity or the chance to be able to play footy, play rugby league. So, no, 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 you'll get hurt, you'll get hurt. So she refused for a couple of years, so we had to keep playing soccer. And then eventually we wore her down a bit and uh, she let us start playing rugby league uh, at the age of 12 with uh, Wetworthville Magpies um, down there in Wenny. Uh, great club they are. Uh, and then uh, mum loved watching so much, she became... You know, that mum that would run up and down the sideline screaming and yelling um, at, at us to do well or smash the opposition or get this guy. So. <laughs> yeah, so thinking of your mum now and uh, and thinking of, I think I heard her scream the same type of stuff in the stadium at the great Parramatta Stadium, so I don't know if that ever changed from when you were a kid by the sound of it. I mean, I... There'd be so many stories of your mum and dad, how they raised two kids, not only you to become an international and represent 
your country, but your brother, your brother Jason, who uh, who also played for the Parramatta Eels, played for the Sydney Roosters, and um, won a competition there. I'm sure you now, in your assistant coaching role at the Roosters, see his picture up on the wall every day. So uh, he had some great success and played for New Zealand as well, and had a career in the UK. So there'd be so many stories of your parents, your mum and dad, bringing you guys up. I I even remember coming and visiting once and she would buy both of you a, a full chicken each because you always try to get big and prepared to play. Both of you play the toughest position in the toughest game in the world. So there's something about how you two grew up together. There's some magic in there. So when I say magic, there's magic in the toughness in the way you grew up and the positions you and your brother ended up playing. But the multiple sport thing, Nathan, you're a prime example of that general athleticism developed at a young age. Are you doing the same with your own kids? Yeah, so my son, Eddie's playing baseball, plays a bit of basketball, he's playing rugby union, uh, rugby league. Uh, The two girls play soccer, netball. They do physical culture as well. That's really good. Um, Like movement-based, sort of like gymnastics, core sort of stuff. But they've been doing that for a long time. Uh, Mia plays netball. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in that as well. Big believer, um, you know, with my own coaching, and I got that from yourself uh, and, you know, Wilson and all the guys there at Para back in the day where, you know, there'd be a lot of times where we'd get the soccer ball out or we'd get the cricket bat out and play uh, slip cat- slips catches at training, before training. Uh, we'd play games like, you know, coil ball or juggling the soccer ball or playing the, the game where you've got the ball defender in the... So all different types of ball, different types of skills, I, I think are very important. Um, and yeah, not really sort of pinpointing or, or pigeonholing your kid until they get old enough to make a choice themselves, because they will, they'll, they'll make a choice. Yes, I remember some of those, all those games we used to play. Uh, as we speak, I can picture you and Jim Dimmick playing basketball out in the on a basketball hoop in the early 2000s, you know, like... I'd always remember they were pretty competitive games, but and then throughout your career we would do we've done all sorts of stuff, Nathan. I had you work with Jim Fraser, the goalkeeping coach, uh, former Socceroo. He was a great bloke that uh, helped me devise some little things around agility and your ability to uh, move uh, as you were getting bigger and bigger. I think we would do. Um, yeah, we'd do all sorts of different sports. I think I even sent you for surfing lessons once to help with your mobility. I'm sure you didn't argue with that. That was some fun times. But apart from that, the general athleticism, there was a real serious part to you. There was a real studious part where you'd study the game and, and and I mean, you'd even get me to study things. You'd come in and say, Hayden, did you see Ali Lawatiti's footwork? Can, can we practice that or... Make sure you watch Shane Webke and work out what part of the game he's getting tired and I want to work on this or I want to work on that. You were always very studious. You would, you know, you were under a coach, Brian Smith, who was very, very detailed and and you were as well. But, I mean, there's a lesson there for everyone, uh, all the listeners, to be the best at any sport. One of the best things, I advice I ever listened to and it stuck with me forever is, you have to become a student of the sport. That's obviously if you are playing, but also if you are in a in a coach's role, of course, but even a trainer's role, or you you have to be a student of the sport. So Nathan definitely had that. 
Um, but one thing, mate, apart from that, one, one thing that's hard to measure or hard to study in, and possibly the most important thing is morale. It's mateship. It's something that it's very hard to describe over this podcast, but it is possibly still and will be in another 100 years the most successful team will be a very tight-knit team of mates. Now, I know when I ever talk to you of old memories of some of your mates in those teams, you speak with such such love for them. Like if I bring up the name Mick Vella now, I know I'll hear it in your voice how much you love the bloke. So could you talk to me about that, the mateship, the morale, the willingness to do anything for each other, that how do you get to that point? Because it's 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 a an area where the listeners can't go and read about this. You can't read about this in a textbook, but it's one of the most important things. So why don't I just throw up the name Mick Vella and see where it goes? Well, that, that had to be developed over time. Actually, uh, he played... We played for Fairfield Pats and Fairfield and Wente absolutely hated each other. It was the rivalry like the Bulldogs and Parramatta, for example. Yep. So we absolutely hated each other. We all hated Mick because he was so good. Yep. Um, and he, he took a couple of grand finals away from us uh, as a kid. Um, but so we, we had a, a great crew of guys, but we had uh, you know, Nathan and Ian all come through together. And there was a real core of us uh, that came through sort of late, 90s, early 2000s, under you know, under the guise of obviously Brian, but there was Dean Page, Jared McCracken, Jim Dimmick, Jason Smith. You know, they were real hard-nosed. When they came to Parramatta, they really taught the club, taught everyone in the club what it took to win. They were just fierce, fierce competitors. And um, Jimmy, you know, he was always up for a game of cards, of basketball. He'd always be dragging us young boys out there to... And I know what he was doing. He was teaching us how to compete. And if you weren't good enough, he would just sledge and sledge and sledge until you got better, until you worked hard. And he just did it to us. And I know you sort of look back at it and you go, mate, he was teaching us a massive lesson on how to compete and how to be winners. Um, so, you know, I can't thank him enough for that. But I think the big thing, and it's used a lot now, it's connection. You know, you got you, and you can't manufacture the connection. It's the, the connection comes through time and trust and standing together and training together sweating together, going through good times, bad times, times when you have big nights on the drink and you look after each other. Um, just all those little things add up. And you know, we're still really good mates, Mick and I. They live in the next suburb. Our two daughters are the same age and they're always spending time with each other. Um, Heidi, our boys are all really good mates. Uh, two, you know, Our wives run a business together. Luke Bird, although he's up in the, up in the Gold Coast, uh, we're all very, very close. His daughter and my daughter are, are best of friends as well. So um, you have that connection for life. And whether it's rugby league or any sort of sport, it's it's what you go through together as a group uh, that you build that trust. And, yeah, you just get that feeling and that, that connection. And, you know, you might not see each other for two or three years, but as soon as you see them again and have a beer, it's like you've never been apart and you just crack on with old times and, yeah, share, share and reminisce on that. Uh, Good stories, as as you and I do a lot too, mate. So um, it's good times. Well, yeah. Right? well, yeah, we do. And and like I said at the start of the show, like we we spent ten years almost every day of the well, let's say three hundred days of the year 
together. I mean, you spend more time in sporting environments and at a professional level than, than unfortunately you do with your own sport. With your, sorry, with your own family because you live and breathe it, and you spend so much time together. So you're right. That connection there is um is just through time. Uh, we've jumped on a Zoom call today, and it feels like I only caught up with you yesterday. But I, where I want to go, Nathan, I'd like to sh- start to share your coaching journey a little. To be honest, mate, I never thought, I never had you down for coaching. Uh, but let me explain that. I, I always knew somewhere, somehow, you would be working in an environment where you would continue to inspire people because that's what you did or whatever you went into I'm sure it was going to involve a team environment and I'm sure your work ethic would be one of your strengths for for, for life um, but the reason I didn't have you down to be a coach is some players who I just say you've got head coach written all over you one day um, the reason I didn't have that for you was because I asked you once, do you want to get into coaching one day? And you said, no way. And I think that was at a time where you could just see the stress some head coaches go through. And I think you'd had a lot of stress and you carried a club on your own shoulders for a long time from a very young age. I think you just felt like, no way, I don't want that that pressure or that stress anymore. Um, but anyway, now you you found your way a little in post post uh, playing career and you you have followed this path because I remember catching up with you you were coaching some elite juniors and and you said Hayden I can't believe how much I love this this is like the closest thing I can get to to game day when I used to play but just just being able to help kids in their career it just gives me this fire it just you just spoke about it with so much passion. You loved it. Um, and uh, riding the highs, riding the lows with these young players, it was something that you showed great excitement for. You're now at a club, the Sydney Roosters, as an assistant coach to Trent Robinson, who's a former teammate of yours and one of our players back at the Eels in the early 2000s. And, and I know personally, having worked with... Trent at the Sydney Roosters, the environment that you're in now is a great environment for your own career. But could you just share with the listeners where you're at in in your coaching journey now? Yeah, I remember that chat we had, Paige, when you were talking about coaching and asking me about coaching because I remember you coming in as a young guy. You had a full head of hair and then... Uh... <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Mate, let's keep this serious. You are Captain Serious. Let's leave the jokes for people like your old mates, Mick Villa or Nathan Hindmarsh, and let's keep the jokes away, mate. But, yeah, real funny. Let's get, let's get back to your journey. Yeah, mate, to be honest, I was I, you know, playing my career. I loved it. Uh, I wouldn't change anything about it. But uh, I was captain. Uh, Brian asked me to be the captain of the team at the age of 21 when you know, the senior guys and the guys that I looked up to so much, Dean and Dean Pay and Jared McCracken, they were the captains. They moved on and... Um, so from the age of 21, I, I sort of had to take a different role, and I'd never really had much of the chance to be one of the be one of the lads. You know, one of the boys always felt like I was sort of had to lead the way, and they always had to be the best at training or work the hardest. Um, and then towards the end, towards the end of my career, I think it wore me down. I'd, um, I'd I'd had enough of the game when I finished when I retired at uh, 32, and 
wanted to make sure that I, that I retired whilst I was still playing decent footy and uh, I felt I did that. So that, that was important to me. But yeah, just by the end, I remember my last game after we played the Warriors, I had this massive smile on my face and people just couldn't believe it. I thought I'd be in tears. They're like, what are you so happy about? I'm just, I'm just glad it's over. That was a great send-off that night. I mean, did you score a try that night? I'm pretty sure you scored a try that night, right? Yeah, scored a try. I had a heap of mates that had a bit of money on it, so we had a good night after that. But, um, yeah, so that was that was it. I, I, I sort of looked into what I wanted to do when I finished footy. I remember it was 2007, and we were expecting our second child, Eddie, um, the son, and my wife turned around to me one day. We were sitting there, and she said, um, what are you going to do when you finish playing? And I'd never, I'd never even thought about it. I'm like, I've got no idea. She said, what, what skill do you have? Well, I play footy. That's, I went out of school, straight into full-time rugby league, and we didn't have the support that the guys do now. They have so much great support, but we weren't pushed to study or to do any extra work outside. We just went to training and went home and uh, played footy. So we, we really enjoyed that. So I really had to knuckle down and did a bit of work in some real estate and really enjoyed that. So I went, I went headlong into that and... When I make a decision, I just go full on into it. My wife was like, are you sure that's what you want to do? What about footy and what about staying involved? I said, nah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do real estate. I got into that and it was after about three months. I remember coming home and I'd, just, I'd get home and I'd just go straight to bed. I was just, I was just trying to sleep my life away. So I'd go to my wife and say, is this, is this all there is? Is this, is, this my life for the rest, is this my life for the rest of my life? And she said, yeah, that's it. You've got a family now. You've got a, you got a pay the bills or doing the same thing every day. I, I don't know if I can handle this. And, uh, and then I got an offer to go back to, to Parramatta um, to look up, to do some sales and marketing because I was doing real estate. So well, I got back and did that. And, but it's still the same. I just had this feeling in my gut. It was just like I had no purpose and probably went through this for about three or four years. Um, that feeling of like, what am I, what am I doing? It felt like a good part of my life was over and now I was just, just hanging around and yeah, not doing much. So I had to find a way to find some purpose back in my life. And so 2014, four years after I finished, I went and went down to, um, Michael Basson. Actually, he was running the junior rep program. I said, Bass, can I, uh, do you mind if I just go down and do some training and help the boys? And he gave me a role as an assistant coach in the SD ball team in 2014. And Alex Twile was in that team and, uh, Tom Amone, Troy Dargan. Uh, a lot of good young players coming through there. So I loved it. The first session I went to, I loved it. Um, it wasn't coaching. It was just the camaraderie that I, I realised I missed. I missed being part of a team and part of something, part of working hard to achieve something on the weekend, whether you achieve it or you, you fail, you get back on and you go again the next week. So that's what I was missing and been on a bit of a roller coaster, a bit of a journey since then. But uh, I'm really happy with where I'm at. There's been some, some tough times um, over the last sort of little while, but I really found myself, and I've been, you know, I've been given a wonderful opportunity at the best club in the, the NRL under, if not one of the best coaches. Um, so, yeah, I'm very... <clears throat> Did you say second best? Second, second best. Um, nah, and only stirring you, mate. And for the listeners... The reason I'm saying second best because we because we now are at opposition clubs. So uh, just a little joke there, but in all seriousness, I'm really really happy where you're at, mate. And um, I know 
the environment you're at and how it will suit you in your journey. I've worked there myself. Um, you're working with Trent Robinson and some fantastic staff. Like just if you think about your best days back at the Eels, that that family environment with Arnie Kay, Kay Fitzhenry on the front desk, you know, like not not the front desk but everywhere, Arnie Kay. Uh, everywhere and for everybody would give herself to everybody and help she's like the godmother of the place and um you now have very similar in kath king at the roosters um and you know i can see a lot of there's a lot of influence of of brian smith in trent robinson um a lot of the technical stuff there's a but but away from just that influence i mean robo would be a great chat on here is he's obviously had a lot of other influences as well and he's a constant learner he's constantly getting better he's a very deep thinker um but there are def there are definitely some influences you see in what robo's built back i'm sure he's got great memories of his time there in the early 2000s that uh he shared with you so um yeah mate you're in a great place you're in a a fantastic place to be honest and but yeah, uh, I won't have you calling them the best club if I'm at another club. So that was just a little joke there for the listeners. Um, but yeah, Nathan, let, let's talk. You know, we've, we've mentioned influences. You know, I've, I, we, the whole package, the whole coaching package, and I mentioned there that Robbo's got a lot of Brian Smith in the, the technical areas. But the whole package, the complete package. If you think about, I know we spoke about Wayne Bennett earlier. And we spoke about some of the key things that I think can't be measured around morale and mateship, and I know that's some stuff that he cares about, but Wayne had that ability to have players want to play for him. He's got that, that ability where if you talk to any player that's ever played under him, they'll possibly call him a, a father figure. Um, what, what did you take out of that? I mean, you're an incredible student of the game and again we you speak very very highly of the likes of brian smith rod reddy those types that were very technical with you what if we could go to that the, the people side um which i know robbo's very big at at the club you're at now and he surrounds that club with with good people that's what he believes in but that 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 little that little bit of magic that you can't quite learn by reading a coaching textbook, that that little bit of Wayne Bennett type magic. What what can we go back there? Did you get any more out of Wayne that we could share? Yeah, yeah, Wayne. He really. Uh, I mean, as a player, you sort of, and that's different. Um, you know, now, now there's a lot of work. Like players do a lot of work on their mind and their belief, and, um, and that type of thing. I was never really exposed to that, uh, and the first time I was exposed. I mean, Brian. Brian Smith was great. You know, he taught me everything about the game and taught me a lot about being a man um, and had, you know, had his certain way of, of instilling the belief in you. But uh, Wayne, when Wayne came into the camp uh, and it started at the uh, centenary test earlier in the year, you know, he just straight away just came in and starting, started building belief. I didn't know he was doing it at the time, but he would just drop little nuggets of gold or little comments here and there, just, oh, Shane Webke reckons you do this and do that really well, or Darren Lockyer reckons you do this, and you just, you believe, and you go, wow, that's good. And now, to this day, I don't know if he was bullshitting or if he was 
if he'd made it up, or I'm sure Shane Webster just probably saw me as a bit of a speed bump, just trying to run over me every time I played him. But he would say, oh, no, Shane Webster, you reckon you're one of the best front rowers and tough and this and that. And, mate, it was six, like six weeks of this build-up of just belief and belief and hard work. Yeah, he had to, he had to teach us how to compete again. I remember they used to make us play uh, like 3v3 offside touch or 4v4 offside touch. <coughs> It was such a hard game. We would just stand there and just make sure that you just kept moving and competing. I'm and so competing. glad you remember that, Nathan. Seriously, like I obviously my job back then was to come up with those games and come up with the training drills. And I mean, every drill had a reason for it. Every game has their reasons for it. That's one thing we're big believers in. In in um, when you talk about training specifically, uh, if you've got a reason for a certain drill or a game then that's specific enough for me so we had some games there which we played for a reason now um but i i learned some lessons myself on those days that you recall there and like in particular the very first day the very first day i ever worked with wayne on the field i was running a game like that and he um he come over and he said to me Hey, no, I'll take this one for you. And I said, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries, Wayne. Like he had that, obviously he had that aura about him with players, but he also did with staff. So when Wayne comes and says that, yeah, sure, mate, sure. Would, do you want the whistle? Do you want the stopwatch? Like, and, and he was like, I don't coach with whistles. And, and I'll never forget it. What I saw next was just something that stayed with me forever and, and, I mean, I had those games, like I said, the detail, the skill, the whatever reason we designed certain drills, but he all of a sudden jumped in and just, he was screaming, not screaming, he was, you know, he was yelling uh, instructional messages, but they were all around encouraging effort. Everything was around competition. Everything was around seeing guys show evidence that they want to compete and it stayed with me like he was barking things and yelling things and he was so enthusiastic but he was so enthusiastic about effort and competition so it stayed with me mate and you're bringing back some great memories there I mean what like one of the greatest memories that have just come to me uh, is the time we went into camp and you guys all sat around in a circle so for the listeners I don't know if you'll ever recreate this with your own teams or your own athletes or your own workplaces, but what they did, they, I think Ruben Wiki may have done this, Nathan, but he, you guys sat around in a circle and I was a part of it and, and Wayne was a part of it and we were the only Australians in, in a Kiwi team that sat around talking about what it meant to play for the Kiwis and what it meant to you, this World Cup. And... Honestly, it's so hard to explain. It's it's hard to explain the emotion in that room. And by the time it got around to me and I had to say my reasons, like, it was more than a job. It was, I mean, Wayne and I felt like honorary Kiwis to start with, but but it was more than a job. There was so much passion and emotion in there and everyone was had their own little sacrifices. I mean, even for me, I... I left my wife at home with a newborn baby. We had three under three at this stage and, and my youngest, Owen, was born. He was four weeks old and 
to leave that to leave her at home was a, a huge family sacrifice but I mean I so I had my own reasons that what I was sacrificing but the the emotion in that room it was um it was powerful it's really hard for me to explain Nathan to the listeners when the Kiwis talk about that brotherhood it's real like it's and it's powerful um yeah I, I can't I can't put it into words I'm hoping you can do you remember that moment do you remember that little circle we got in and and spoke yeah, I, I do, mate. It was very emotional. I know there were a number of guys in tears. Uh, the biggest, the main one I remember was Manu. I think it was Manu Vatavai. He was expecting, him and his partner were expecting a child during the campaign. He had sacrificed that to be in, be in the, the team and be in the squad because he wanted to be part of something special. And when you hear that, you just go, wow, I don't want to let this guy down. And there were a number of other, other, other stories, but that's just one that really sticks in my mind. So that, really resonated with us and it was the I think it was the first day in camp because I remember uh, we had the room set up you know when you go to a go into a team you have your team meeting and all the chairs are sitting there facing to the front and it was Wayne and Ruben said nah we're getting these chairs let's form a circle and we're going to go around one by one and just talk about what it means to be as you know be part of the team and play for your country and represent your people and yeah I think mate after Manu spoke I think all of us were just about blubbering messes and then you walk out of that and you think, I don't want to let these guys down. So, and it was, mate, we trained hard. I remember Nathan Fiend was outstanding as well. He was really, he was uh, really big on driving team standards as well. So, you know, he was great. Uh, Adam Blair was great. Jeremy Smith was outstanding. You know, he brought that real Melbourne hardness and our preparation and training was good. Uh, and Dave Kidwell, you know, although he wasn't part of that final team, he had a massive impact on on our culture and I don't know how hard we were willing to work. So um, yeah, I mean it was, it was such a wonderful time and yeah, such a great experience. Um, you know, it was it was so unexpected. Our team manager um, ran out of beer at ten thirty at night, um, and our team manager—I won't name his name—but our team manager actually worked for Lion Red and he ran out of beer <laughs> ten thirty at night. Unbelievable. Even he didn't. I don't think he thought we were going to win. So, um, and it was, uh, it was uh, locked down oh. up in Brisbane. So you yeah, couldn't get a drink anywhere. We couldn't get a drink anywhere. Oh. Yeah, well, I remember it like it was yesterday, mate. Uh, no one, no one believed you could do it besides the, the team that you were with day to day during that time. Um, they were, the belief was so powerful, but no one else believed it. No one. And... And, mate, I, I remember clearly, I don't know if uh, you recall these, Nathan, but I remember Wayne walking around the sheds after that game and he was saying it pretty loud too. I don't usually see him get so excited, but he was saying that was the night for the true believers. And he kept saying it, that was the night for the true believers. And the true believers were, were all in that room, mate. Um which kind of, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, you, you don't know if some of the times Wayne was bullshitting to you or not uh, when he planted little seeds with you or little nuggets of gold there. But I, I can tell you, if if it was bullshit or not, it was always deliberate. Whatever he said, there was always, there's a reason why. Um, mate, what about the time 
we had the the international awards night was the week of the final and my memories of that night were it was all about australia like again no one believed new zealand could beat them the whole night four or five days before the final this this awards night this international awards night was the whole night was about Australia. The the speeches, the guest speeches were all ex-Australian legends. Every speech was made about how good the current Australian team was. The awards where they where they awarded international awards for winger of the year, half of the year, front rower of the year, back rower of the year, like all the positions, the team of the year, the international team of the year. New Zealand had one person make that team. Manu Vatavai made the wing. Uh, they had all Australians, one or two English, and I think they they threw in Adam Mogg as international 5'8 of the year. And with no disrespect to Moggy, another former teammate of yours and a, a great bloke um, who was having a great season at the time in France. But... You know, he they even gave a, a French person a international five eight of the year ahead of, you know, Darren Lockyer or, or Benji Marshall or, you know, but but the point I'm making is no New Zealand players were even getting a mention, and I remember you guys all just stood up and left as soon as the formalities were over. You left the dinner. You all went out and sat on the bus, and I remember I was sitting next to Wayne and. And all the Aussies were still celebrating at their tables and just just me and him sitting at a table. And he nudged me under the table and he said, we don't even have to motivate them now, H. How good's this? So when when we got off and we walked on the bus and you guys were all waiting and he grabbed the microphone and he said a few words that I won't repeat and the whole bus erupted, that was perfect for someone like Wayne to just fuel that all week he fueled that and on the night you went out there with such a hunger and and also a, a, a motto of no regrets everyone went out there with with the intention of of having no regrets so yeah that was that was a night for the true believers that's for sure I mean Wayne even had that effect with staff you know like he would he would always plant little little seeds here and there where uh, very strategic I mean he would often come to me after training drills and tell you that he liked it or tell you what he wanted to add but it was just these other stuff in and around like the little walk and talks he'd take you on or the little you know lunchtime dinner time chats over or over a meal or that that those were the priceless little nuggets of wisdom that he would share and then often inspire staff so I, I i used to room with dane norton who's now at the new zealand warriors and a great great bloke and a great friend of yours too and i think he's a listener too so shout out to dane over there in new zealand um but i remember a couple of days before the final uh, dane and i are having a coffee in the foyer of the hotel and wayne walks over for a quick chat and and I said, mate, I can't wait to work with you this week, Wayne, on the final. And he says, why is that? Why is that, Hayden? And I said, well, every time you've been to the big dance, the big occasion, you've been to six grand finals and won all six of them. Um, at that stage, he'd won all six grand finals he'd ever been in. So I said, there's something about it, you, the big game. And he, he honestly, he, a man of few words here, he just said, Hayden, 
I know what wins big games. Your job is to help me help them believe it. And then he just turned around and walked off. And Dane and I had goosebumps. And oh, like, so where you say, like, what he delivered to players, like, he would also do that with his staff. So, you know, in and amongst these stories, I'm hoping some listeners are, um, uh, are appreciating that. The only reason I'm sharing these stories is there are some little nuggets of gold there that uh, have influenced me and Nathan that um, you know just may help you in whatever journey you're on. So Nathan, let, I, I want to go to captaining at such a young age. Like that night in 2008, you were ready. That that was your moment. But you also captained the New Zealand team a lot earlier than that, many years before when you were only 20. Two, I think, and then you had a break from it and come back later. So, like, the question I want to ask is I have my thoughts on this, but I want to ask you would you put that type of responsibility on such a young player now in your position now as a coach? Would you put that responsibility as a captain of your country at the time or even your club? But, but I'm asking the question about captaining New Zealand at such a young age. Would you do that to a young player? No way. No. Um, yeah, I just think there's so much learning to do. Um, I just think it's um, – I think we've had some chats about this. I, I just think it puts a lot of, uh, lot of, ex- a lot of additional pressure on the young bloke. Um, and I, I just feel only I'm only talking from my own experience. I think you've got to allow players to experience everything that they can get uh, from their time playing the game. So that means enjoying playing their role in the team, enjoying being one of the lads, leading the team, lead the team by example. Uh, you know, there's there's so many players out there who have never been captains, but they lead by example just by what they do. So do you formally need to make them the captain? Or do you just let them do their job as a leader organically? That's the big question you've got to ask yourself. So, um, you know, there's a lot of other strain and a lot of other sort of responsibility you take on as a captain. You know, you, you feel like if there's a poor performance or the team hasn't trained that well, you're racking your brain. Oh, what could we have done? Could I have done this? Um, you don't really sort of do that as much as a as a individual or as a player. I mean, you do your own performance, but you don't think about everything. You don't think about all the players. You don't think about the staff. You don't think about you know what the team could do better. I don't know. Maybe I was maybe I overanalyzed it when I was when I was captain. But that's what I I felt sort of you know. I, could, I, bet, I, I mean, that's interesting because and the reason I asked that question is I mean you captained the most games in NRL history as a captain. Uh, I saw you do that on many occasions, very inspirationally, but also there was times where I saw you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, and there's times where I felt for you. Yep. Yeah, and that's but what yeah. I say. I wish I would have, um, you know, this this whole mindset and training, like all this stuff that's around now. I just uh, think you think about anything. Wow, if this was around sort of 20 years ago, you just sort of think. Because I'm, you know, being in a good environment, the Roosters and uh, the amount of belief that is instilled on those players and how much belief they have in each other. Just, you know, being in an environment like that, you just think back and think, wow, 
what what else could we have done, you know? So, um, and yeah, I, look, I I overanalyzed things. I know that, but I only did that because I wanted to be the, I wanted to be as good as I could be. Whether I was playing marbles or whatever, I just yeah, I just wanted to be better every day. I just and I remember the boys, you know, Heidi and Mickey Bella, they gave me the nickname Grumpy because whenever we went on the field, I was just there to work. I wasn't there to I wasn't there to muck around. I wanted to get on work. Do our do our stuff and then have a laugh and all that sort of stuff in the sheds and they used to give me a hard time about being so serious and this and that. But I just saw it as an opportunity to be better and to to get get ourselves prepared. So they saw it a little bit differently to me. Well, you always did work the hardest, that's for sure. Um, but you know, there's something there that that I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind going back. Um, to even your junior representative years, your your schoolboy years, um, because I saw you at that elite level, but you this was always in you. This this always wanting to work the hardest. You mentioned that earlier was was always in you. But I mean, some of your mates. I mean, I the boys you played with. Like some of there's quite a lot of them that were, with all respect, mate, they were better than you, like. And, and in saying that too, I, by the way, just a side topic, I love the fact that that group of mates you have, in particular that Commonwealth Bank Cup team of Parramatta Maris years, um, the mates, the close mates that you took them along your career and on your journey with you. Like I, I do love, I really love and respect that about you, mate. I, I, even the, the great memories of your Bucks weekend when we flew to Perth and or all those special moments or your weddings or like things that I was, you know, I shared, I'm grateful to have shared with you, but I, I always really respect that you went on and lived that superstar lifestyle as a pro, but you always took your good mates with you. But going back to them, like, mate, there was some that were better than you. And the reality is, I'm not sure if they're listeners, but the reality is, and they would admit it now, and I'm sure they're telling their own kids, was Nathan wanted it more. Nathan was prepared to sacrifice more. And I'm sure there's little lessons that they're trying to teach their kids. And they'll probably tell stories of you, mate. Um, but that's the reality. Some were better than you. But somewhere you wanted it more. Am I right in saying that? I feel like I'm right in saying that, but... Yeah, like, could you maybe take us back? I mean, there's there's junior rep teams you didn't even make, if I can remember correctly. Can can you take us back and maybe share that bit of a journey? Because some of our listeners, I mean, there may be some young listeners, but to to be honest, the the majority of listeners are the types that are are guiding young people or leading young people or coaching teams. So, uh, although I do know there are some athletes that listen to this and. I get some really good feedback, but to be honest, the majority of listeners are 30 years old and above, you know, some of them 40, some of them 50, mid-50s, 60s, like the the stats tell me that I do have some young listeners, but to be honest, Nathan, a lot of them are leading young athletes, so if they are, are there any lessons by you just sharing your stories from your junior representative years? Yeah, so I uh, started... Um, probably when I was 14, two weeks before trials for the Parramatta Harold Matthews, I was riding a skateboard uh, Kuji, near Coogee Beach and I was going down a hill and got the death wobbles and fell off and broke my wrist. Um, 
And uh, so I couldn't play in the trial. I couldn't trial for the Harold Mats. And uh, the team that year, they made the grand final. They lost to Canberra. Uh, they had some really good players. And you know, I sort of started, I was playing with a lot of footy with those boys that were in that team. And they all started making state teams and getting contracts. And I was like, oh. I, I was, you know, I knew I was way off that. So the next year I went and trialed for SG Ball, which was the under-17s. I went and trialed a year, year up and played the first week of the trials. And as a family, we were going away the following weekend. So I went up to the coach. I won't name his name. Uh, he knows who he is. But uh, I went up to the coach and said, oh, I, made a, I won't be able to come to the trial next week. The family's going away. And he said, oh, don't worry about it, mate. You're not going to make it anyway. Um, oh. And I remember that. I was just like, oh, okay, all right. And, um, yeah. Let's give him a mention. Who are we talking about? No, nah, mate, I couldn't do that. He knows who he is, mate. <laughs> well, no. A, you... No friend, because he, he was a big part of those good times at Parramatta. He was, mate, and, and he deserves a mention. Tony Zapier, if you're a listener, uh, I hope you are, and I hope your whole staff and whole club are. Tony's now CEO of a... A big club and doing great things, and um, but yeah, Nathan, as you said, he, he was a big part of the good times, and he possibly had a a moment in your career that uh, maybe f- spurred you on. So, Tony, if you're listening, mate, thanks for uh, all the good things later in uh, Nathan's career, but also thanks for that one moment that spurred him on early in his career, which uh, I'm sure you won't mind us sharing that story. <laughs> Okay, so while we're mentioning names, Nath, is there any, are there any of those players? I mean, I, we joked about there's quite a lot of them that were uh, very, very good players. Is there, is there any of them that may be listeners to the show and won't mind getting a mention? Like, are there anyone that those talented guys that uh, may be telling stories about you now about how you, you used to work harder? Is there any like training memories maybe you have of those younger years? Yeah, there was one one guy in particular, uh, Brad Capavilla. Still really good mates with him now. Uh, champion bloke. He's just he's one of those blokes that he brings everyone together. Uh, he love he loves organising a beer or a bet or whatever. And he just when he's there, he's the life of the party. He's cracking jokes. He's telling stories. He's just so much fun. Um, but he was he was probably one of the best players I've ever played with as a as a junior. Uh, he was a big, tall, redhead back rower. Um, but yeah, we were playing. I, I went and played down at Wente with him and the first training session I went to, I remember I, you, know, you do your laps around the field and do your fitness and I just, I just went as hard as I could and I was out in front and they were all just sort of cruising because they'd already started playing rep footy and they just thought club footy was just there to, to muck around and, uh, and then when we finished the fitness, they're like, what? they were saying to me, what are you doing, mate? Just take it easy. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to like, go as hard as you can. You just, train as hard as you can and, and I just did that I didn't care I, they would just give me a hard time so uh, right from then um, I did, used to do a lot of uh, do a lot of 10k road runs um, so I used to do fun runs um, and the funny thing was I did it for a few years and I used to do it because I thought my dad wanted me to do it so it was Sunday mornings I used to get up at 6am so I used to get up at 5 in the morning going oh I've got to do it my dad wants me to do it you know? and he, Little did I know, my dad hated going, but he thought I wanted to do it. So we spent two years doing this, these 10K road runs on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I was an old, I got older. I thought he wanted me to do it. He thought I loved doing it, but we both hated it. 
it just taught me the the um the ability to be able to grind like a Sunday morning cold and just getting yeah. up and grinding ten K by myself. My dad would just sit in the car and just wait for me. Um yeah, so yeah, some some good stuff like that. But it was all it's all hard work, mate. I had to I had to work really hard for everything. Um, even to you know, when I was playing NRL, I I would have to get up in the morning two hours before I was gonna leave to go to training to have six week fix, have a protein shake, have eggs on toast, just so I I would make my weight. Because when, when we started weighing, you guys started weighing us um, at training. You used to have to weigh in a way out, and I was always light. And I used to go to bed. I'd go to bed at 103 kilos, but I'd wake up at 97. I'd lose weight overnight. So. Yeah, well, you did play above your weight, that's for sure, Nathan. Um, mate, what about there was some times that we actually got you too big and then had to reevaluate and then, okay, let's go back to his more athletic weight. So I can imagine now you're, you're living normally <clears throat> well under what you used to play at because you used to have to work hard to maintain that weight. But, yeah, we did take it back. We uh, wanted the, the athlete back and... Mate, I, I even remember I sent you for surfing lessons, which was a bit out of the box, but it was at a time where there were some days where I just wanted to take some pressure off you and um, and also keep you more agile and mobile and and also just to be enjoying it a bit because there was, there was a bit of the, the mental side of what we did here but also the physical side. And I can't remember the guy's name, but we set you up with some one-on-one surf lessons. I'm sure that was a bit of fun. Do you remember all that? Tipping. You sent me. You sent me the goal tipping thing. Ah yes, Jimmy Fraser. What a great bloke. Uh, former Socceroo goalkeeper actually, and has helped develop some of the best goalkeepers in Australia. And so you're privileged there, Nate. Uh, it's great that uh, he still stays in touch, and I believe you two still stay in touch. The other week. And yeah, I still use some of his drills today. To be honest. Um, Geez, some of the goalkeepers in the world, best goalkeepers in the world, you talk about agility and reaction and speed and acceleration and concentration, communication. Wow. So just on goalkeepers, Nathan, I don't know if, if you've listened to the episode I did with Matty Ryan. Uh, you may remember Matty Ryan. He was a great fan of the Parramatta Eels and yours and actually come in for work experience once upon a time while you were training the house down and leading that team. So, as you know, Matty now is a superstar playing in the English Premier League and uh, already uh, has a couple of World Cups under his belt. I'm sure he'll he'll go down in history as playing the most World Cups for Australia if everything goes well for him. But uh, what a kid, mate. What a kid and uh, a great podcast to listen to. So I know you're a, you're a learner. So make sure you tune in, go back the episodes and search the one for Matty Ryan. And back on Jimmy Fraser, let's get him on. We need an episode. Jimmy, if you're a listener, let's get on. I'm sure you've got some great uh, wisdom to share from your days as a Socceroo goalkeeper and then a coach and developing many elite goalkeepers and, and athletes, even like athletes like Nathan Kalis. Okay, senior players. Now, I know you've worked, you've played with a lot of very good players and teammates, but is there anything that comes straight to mind when I say senior players and the qualities 
that you believe sharing any story here will help our listeners because because that's what I'm after here, Nath. I know you've got plenty of stories and some awesome teammates, but just hit you with it. What comes to mind straight away when I ask you senior players that helped you and the qualities that they had that you liked about them? Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's one that uh, really helped me early on. It was Justin Morgan. So when I started, so I started as a 19-year-old and uh, full-time training. And he taught me, I learned a lot from a lot of the players that I played with. And there were some awesome senior players there at that time when I started. But uh, Justin Morgan grabbed me early and really took me under his wing. And he taught me uh, the ability to to not show weakness when I was training, like to give the perception. So he'd always talk about perception. You've got to give the coach the perception that you're not tired. Well, you know, on the inside, you might be dying, but on the outside, you can't show that you're hurting. And I, that was a great tip. And I just remember practicing it and we'd, we'd do it together at pre-season training up there at Roxborough Park. I remember it just training and just remembering, just don't show any, don't show anything. Because that's what you're doing as a footy player. You're looking for the opposition or any sport you play, you're looking for any weakness that you can see in the opposition. So that was a really big lesson. Um, you know, the leadership stuff, I loved playing under Dean Pay. Um, you know, he was such a great leader. You know, Brian was our coach at the time and I'm sure Brian knows about this, but uh, then there were nu- numerous times when Brian would give this all-time stellar half-time speech and that's we're going to do this game plan. Brian would walk out of the room, be pay stand up and go, don't worry about that. what that fucking bloke just said. We're just going to fucking get out there and we're going to fucking smash him. Do I have to edit this and bleep out all the, your expletives, Nathan? You, you're lucky that our, our listenership is 18 and above. Yeah, he really taught me that sort of hard, tough. He trained hard. He played hard. But yeah. He played even harder back in the day then too. So that was... Uh, some really good times, mate. Um, yeah. So, mate, I've got here next to me, like I told you, I don't script anything. There's no notes. But what I do have is the game plan of the 2008 World Cup. Now, on top of this page, as you can see, it has the words no regrets. Now, there's a lot of other detail to the game plan, but the theme of no regrets, it, am I right in saying that's how you've approached your life since is it or even I mean I know you did your whole career to be honest but you definitely did in that campaign and that historic night but how are you going with the no regrets in your own career and the path you've taken since so I went to the went to the Warriors last year and that was a big decision uh, moving the family uh, and I'd you know I'd only ever played for Parramatta or I'd only ever lived in the same area worked for Parramatta for seven years and then one day I just I was laying in bed one night and I and I wanted to give the coaching a real crack and I realized it just sort of hit me I realized if I want to be serious with this I've got to leave Parramatta I've got to get out of this comfort zone and really push myself so I accepted a, an offer at the Warriors and then as soon as I accepted it I went oh fuck what have I done and then all the thoughts of moving the family and the kids and and all that sort of stuff. So we went to New Zealand. Erin uh, and the kids, they loved it. But I really struggled struggled over there because I wanted everything to be perfect and it wasn't. Um, you know, the club, we were doing it tough. There was not a lot of depth. I was coaching the reserve grade as well and 
mate, I was doing five nights a week or five days a week where I was in there at six. I was getting home at nine, nine thirty. Um, so I really struggled for the last, yeah, the last sort of twelve months. I and then I started questioning whether I really wanted to do this, whether I really wanted to coach, and it made me think pretty long and hard about what I wanted to do and. I always thought I wanted to go straight into head coaching and be the head coach and be the boss, but I realised I really enjoyed, for now, I really have enjoyed much more in helping the young guys be their best. Um, and whether that's teaching them technically, teaching them something about work ethic or just about being a man or, or a good brother, um, that's what I'm really enjoying doing at the moment. So I'm not coaching my own team. I've coached my own team for the last seven years and, this is the first year where I've just been able to focus just on the individual and, and help them develop and, and contribute to the team, to the greater team. And I'm really enjoying that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I feel like I've really found my, my feet, uh, since I've retired, to be honest. And it's only really been in the last six months because I, yeah, I wasn't really, I've tried a few different things, but, um, um, you don't, yeah, you don't really sort of, understand what you miss so much uh, when you're not playing professionally um, all that hard work and achieving something every day and then not achieving things and thinking what am I doing so um, been through a bit of that but um, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at the moment and yeah really in a good place and um, a lot of good people are doing great things that are that I'm close with and, and that's you know, that's good as well so I love hearing that, mate. I love that you're a, a committed and, and a constant learner. I mean, you always were, but I, I love hearing it, mate. And you're in a good place. You sound like you're in a good place. And it's probably the right placement for me to throw in a little plug for a sponsor of the show, which is a course that I know you've told me you are going to sign up to. And we might as well get our listeners to sign up and they may as well use the same code that you're using. So here's a little live record, but it's genuine. It's, it's, not a, it's not a sponsor that I don't truly, truly believe in. It's the course uh, that I've had a lot of people do and I've done myself. It's go to competetocreate.net. There's a course on finding your best by Dr. Michael Gervais. And Pete Carroll, this Seattle Seahawks head coach in the NFL. Now, those two guys have put together a fantastic course, competetocreate.net, and use the code at checkout, get the edge, all one word, all capitals, 75. Get the edge, 75, for your $75 off a course that will have a massive impact on your work and or whatever you do i've even had my own wife do it so compete to create.net nathan's about to go and do the course the code is get the edge 75 so nathan let's get back to the chat there's just a quick little plug there um and i'm also very happy to know that you're signing up for the course because because i know the path you're on it'll have a big impact but, mate, back on, you mentioned you're surrounded by really good people that inspire you. Uh, I know that's at your own workplace, but also at home. Uh, were, you, were you going there then? I, I sense that you were going there. You have, I mean, your wife 
and Hindy's wife and JT's wife have just brained it in the business world. And I'm sure, I am positive that that has a, a inspiring effect on yourself and your your own kids. Is that right? Like, I mean, Erin's working there and they've started up three bird renovations. So if anyone hasn't checked them out, even just go to Instagram. I follow their Instagram. I love it. Uh, the work they do is so cool. So three bird renovations. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Nate? Yeah, no, it's it's great uh, what Aaron's doing. Uh, they they started the business seven years ago. They put their money together. They put their own money together, three girls, and they bought a house in Castle Hill, renovated it, and they've, they've grown it into an empire, um, which is great. You know, that's sort of, uh, that's that's great to see. Uh, someone that works so hard, that puts so much into our family, achieve some great things as well. And it's, you know, it's it's good for our kids too. They understand the the benefit and what you achieve when you do work hard. Uh, you know, they've seen my footy career, but also now they see how hard Aaron works and they're just surrounded by it. So they just know that they have to work hard if they want something. And that's just sort of organic. We don't push that on them. Uh, try and have as much fun as possible. And that's the other thing too I would say about sport and about coaches and, you know, people. And that's what I've realised. I, I think the last few years that I've been coaching, I've really tried to push everything and try to force everything and try to make, I try to win every game and be the best and try to, I try to fast track becoming a really good coach instead of just enjoying it and enjoying the time and, um, that's why I love spending time with yourself because you helped us understand that you're in the top, you're in the prime of your life, you're enjoying it. So that's what I really focused on, enjoying being at work and enjoying what you do, not so much the result, but just enjoying being there with the boys and the players and your family. Um, and that's, yeah, that's my, that would be my message to a lot of coaches is don't forget to enjoy it, but also help your players enjoy what they're doing. Um, that's that'd be because if they're not enjoying it, they won't do it, and they won't they won't remember you fondly. You know, you always want to be that that coach that has had an influence on a player. Um, you know, as you have a lot of guys and a lot of guys that I've been under, have been coached by. You you remember how they make you feel. Um, that's why Wayne's very good. Um, you know, they, they how they make you feel is what you remember. That's some great advice to finish with. Like, I think we should finish on that. Is everyone listening to this show is leading or teaching or inspiring a teammate or someone they look after? Or that's just some great advice. They 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 remember you for how you make them feel. And honestly, mate, it means a lot that you've actually said you you you've classed me in that that. Uh, category for for yourself in your own career like I'm taken aback a little bit there um it it actually means a lot mate because that's my mission in everything I do is to show that I care and if you felt that and you say that now yeah it really means a lot so but some and I love I love that you remember some of those lines we I used to put up on the wall like if you're in this place you're in the prime of of your life so enjoy it or we used to always say enjoy your work because it shows the evidence is it just punches you in the face when someone enjoys their work you can see it but 
the complete opposite. You can also see it if they don't enjoy their work. So enjoy your work. It shows. We've been really lucky. We're in a place where usually everyone is really, really positive and always inspiring each other and pushing each other and enjoying their work. Uh, but some advice out there is if you can, you need to create that environment where they do enjoy their work. So, mate, that's some, some great advice from you to finish on. Uh, I, I really want to thank you for your time, but also um, just let Erin know I need the girls on the show next. Three Bird Renovations, they're rock stars of that, that industry. Uh, let's get them on the show. But for you, mate, thanks so much. I know you would have made a difference today to some listeners that have that have hung in there that there's a long show but uh it was worth every second of it mate thanks a lot catch up soon and all the best this year except for when the roosters play the panthers good mate see you mate we hope you have enjoyed this episode of gte with hayden knowles don't forget to like subscribe and leave us a five-star review to help grow the team